Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. We've got a great show on tap for you guys tonight. As you could tell, those watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, I've got my Tennessee basketball shirt on. Sweet 16 tonight at Madison Square Garden against Florida Atlantic University. Am I nervous? There's no question about it. Tennessee men's basketball has not been to the Sweet 16 since 2010, and that was their only appearance there. Ironically, they actually faced Michigan State in that game back 13 years ago, and there's an opportunity, there's a chance, there's a possibility that they could rematch again this year. So what an unbelievable turn of fate that would be. Michigan State plays the first game at the Garden tonight against Kansas State. We'll be talking a ton of tournament today, although there'll be some games starting during the show. We'll try to keep you, uh, you know, in you know, try to keep you updated on those, but going to discuss John Morant's d- return towards the end of the show and how it, it, it's it's unbelievable. His family and Ja himself continue to show an unbelievable lack of self-awareness in his return to the Grizzlies against the Houston Rockets last night. I'll talk about that. I'll also talk about uh, Mario Chalmers <laughs> having some some thoughts that many deem controversial on LeBron James, a guy who you guys know I, I think is the greatest player of all time in the history of basketball. I actually don't think it's that controversial. Not necessarily what he said, but how people are perceiving it. I'll discuss that later in the show as well. I'll also talk about Shohei Otani ending the World Baseball Classic with a bang, striking out his teammate, arguably the the second-best baseball player in the world, Mike Trout, and why Shohei Otani is unquestionably the face of Major League Baseball. Uh, What else we got? And Paul George's injury for the Los Angeles Clippers, which is absolutely devastating. You you hate that for a guy of his caliber. And I think I was never high in the Clippers before the season, all season long, especially once they made the Westbrook move. I'm officially out 100% of the Clippers. They have no chance, zero, to win a championship this season in 2023, despite some pretty big expectations. I'll discuss that later in the show. But first, the... In a night with a lot of NBA, big NBA games last night, I could argue that the Warriors-Mavericks game very well might have been the biggest because you got Golden State, 
who coming into the game was sitting at the sixth seed, only a half game up on the Mavericks in the standings. And obviously, that sixth seed is as coveted as the eighth seed was in recent years because if you get the sixth seed, obviously, or higher, you do not have to participate in the play-in tournament, which is obviously seven, eight, nine, ten seeds before it's cut off. 11 through 15 is obviously mathematically eliminated. So huge game. Dallas, if they win, they overtake Golden State. Golden State falls to like the eight or nine spot. If the Mavs lose, they fall down to about that spot as well. And my Warriors got a big, big W, 127 to 125 over the Mavericks. But there was a lot of controversy in that game that's been much discussed, especially among the Mavericks. And I just find it really ironic. So before I sort of give my give, give you my take on the situation, here is the situation. Again, apologies to the podcast audience. Here's what happened. So you got... Uh, a three right here by Anthony Lamb of the Warriors. Ball gets knocked out of bounds by a Dallas player. The ref signals out of bounds off of Dallas. And so they come back from timeout. There's no Mavericks player guarding the Warriors. And Kevon Looney gets the easiest two points he'll ever get for the rest of his career. Again, we'll show you one more time. So the ball is going to go out of bounds off this uh, player. Dallas thought that the ref signaled Dallas ball after he initially signaled Golden State ball. What he was actually signaling was timeout. Okay, so then he, again, he inbounds it. All the Mavericks on the other side of the court. I'll get into that in just a second. Looney gets the dunk, and now here you see Mark Cuban. Here he is. Yeah, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, at the scorer's table, or really next to the announcers, uh, saying, like, what the heck is going on? And Mark Cuban went on Twitter last night and gave his take on it uh let's see do we, do we have it do we have the, the the tweet okay so here's what mark cuban said on twitter last night he said for those wondering about the play with a minute 54 to go in the third let me explain what happened the ref called mavs ball the announcer called it then there was a timeout during the timeout the official changed the call and never told us then when they saw us line up as if it if as if it were our ball, he just gave the ball to the Warriors. Never said a word to us. That's that's got an easy basketball. Crazy it would matter in a two-point game. Worst officiating non-call possibly in the history of the NBA. All they had to do was tell us, and they didn't. Uh that is uh okay, a little bit of hyperbole by by Mr. Cuban on the worst officiating non-call mistake possibly in the history of the NBA. I think that's pushing it just a hair. But uh, I can think, heck, this season I can think of worse. Okay, to me, the worst missed call this season by mile was the LeBron James drive to the basket at the end of the Celtics-Lakers game. Jason Tatum clearly slaps LeBron in the arm. It was so easy. I mean, crap, the people watching on TV could tell it was a foul, and the ref did not blow the whistle. It, they it went down the scoring books as a missed layup by LeBron James. That's the worst call of this season, one of the worst that, that I've seen. Point being, there was a lot of confusion. So Mark Cuban said that the refs gave the ball to Dallas when the ball went out of bounds. Again, let's show this play again. Watch the ref behind the basket. Okay, ball's going to go out of bounds. Golden State ball. He immediately points to Golden State's direction. So that is flat out not true by Mark Cuban. He immediately called Golden State ball. So he said the ref called Mavs ball. It's not true. The announcer called it. So I guess the PA announcer in the arena said Mavs ball. I think, honestly speaking, I think that's what threw everybody off. Like, wait, hold on. The announcer said it was, so I don't know if it was a mistake by the announcer or what have you. And then he goes, during the timeout, the official changed the call and never told us. Then when they saw us line up as if it were our ball. Mr. Cuban 
your team did not line up as if it was our ball. Again, we'll we'll, we'll show the play again. So here you go. The ball's going to go out of bounds off of, I think that was Luca. No, that wasn't off Luca. It was off another Mavs player. And then watch. Once they come back, stop right there. If the Mavs thought they had the ball, why didn't they get under the basket? If they thought it was their ball, would their players, or at least at least two players, at least two players not been on that side of the floor instead of five Warriors? Because the Warriors knew. Okay, all five Golden State players are like, okay, it's our ball. Oh, there's no Dallas players? Okay, come on, Looney. Here's, here's the easiest two points you've ever scored in your basketball life. None of them, none, not one single Mavs player was on that side of the ball. By definition, if it were your ball, you would need a guy to throw the ball in. Would not a Mavs player have went to the official and said, hey, it's our ball. Can, can, we, can we inbound? And then the official would told him, no, it's not. And then by that point, the team would have got down the other end of the floor. That, that's what's confusing to me in terms of Mark Cuban and the Mavericks' interpretation of this. But what's even more ironic to me, so Mark Cuban announced during the game, while the game was going on, that if Golden State won by two or less, if they won by one or two points, that he would protest the outcome of the game, that the Mavs would protest the outcome of the game. As it turns out, and I remember watching the game, Golden State's up five for the record with one second left. And then Reggie Bullock for the Mavs hits a three at the buzzer to make it a two-point game. A two-point win for Golden State as opposed to a five-point win. And so obviously it's like, oh, here we go. Then now you're going to have the protest. First of all, Mark Cuban's not going to win this. I'll get into the ref side of it in just a second. But for the Mavs, what is as ironic as it comes they are essentially saying the refs screwed us out of this win. And again, what is a very big late March game in terms of the Western Conference seeding, okay? For a team that, you know, Cubans talking about the worst officiating non-call in the history of the NBA. That's fun. The Mavericks are third. One, two, three. Third. One, two, three. Third in the NBA. And free throw attempts made per game. Or I'm sorry, free throw attempts per game with 25.8. So essentially, the Mavs shoot 26 free throws a game. Their best player, more on him in just a second, Luka Doncic, is third himself in the NBA in free throw attempts per game with 11.02 attempts. So Luka shoots 11 free throws a game. Only Giannis and Embiid are higher. You got that? So Mavs are third in free throw shooting. Luka's third in free throw shooting individually, and then the Mavs, the team in the NBA. Okay. So the refs were not in your side. Again, Mark Cuban is, is an owner that I would say among the 30 owners of the NBA, Mark Cuban knows basketball fairly well. Like, he's no, like, just he buys the team and he's just kind of pretending to know, like, pretending to know more than he actually does. No, Mark Cuban actually knows the game at a decent level, especially for an NBA owner. So he's not stupid, okay? <laughs> By the way, billionaires, guy, guy who, you know, goes from nothing to where he is now is no idiot. There's no question about that. There's all the respect in the world for Cuban as a businessman. But that's another discussion. For Mark Cuban to say, if the Warriors win by two, we're protesting. Because, of course, that Kevon Looney dunk was two points. And saying, well, that's the difference in the game. Folks, 
it's not the butterfly effect. Basketball is not a game where you could look back at the second quarter and be like, okay, because that guy foul, got fouled with 10 minutes and 41 seconds left of the second quarter, he hit both his free throws and, and the team won by two. That's why this team won the game. That's not how the game works. Situations uh, dictate how you play. Like, you can't just go back in a game, watch the highlights, and be like, well, if he'd made this shot, I made this shot, then it'd been a different game. That's not how it works. And for the Mavericks as an organization, this is shameful. An official makes, and I, again, I don't even think this is a bad call. The ball clearly went out of bounds off of the Mavs player. The ref clearly signified Mavericks, I'm sorry, Golden State ball. He points to the, it's a, it's a Golden State side. It's their ball. Clearly determines that. But there's been some bad officiating in the NBA at times. I think we can all agree with that. I, I would say of the three major American sports, football, basketball, and baseball, basketball right now has the worst officiating. I'd say NFL's the best. Major League Baseball's a close second. Basketball's a different third. Uh, is a distant third. No other teams have protested the outcome of games. Does some of this have to do with the fact that it's a late-season game? Maybe, but Dallas still has nine games left, and there's a very good chance that worst-case scenario, unless they just unless they just fall apart these last nine games, worst case for Dallas, they'll be in the play-in tournament. They still could climb up and get the sixth seed. There's only a game-and-a-half difference. They can absolutely make up that, depending on what happens above them and what they do. But this is a bad look for the Mavs as an organization. It's a bad look for Mark Cuban, and it's a bad look for Luka Doncic. Did you see? We don't have the, the video of it, but did you see what he did late in the game? 30 seconds left. He gets stopped by Klay Thompson. Mavs are down one. Luka misses a step back three. It's great defense by Klay. Luka thinks he should have gotten a call when the ball goes out of bounds. He looks at the ref, and this was the first time he did this and did the money sign. Essentially, as to insinuate that, oh, uh, Golden State paid you guys off. That is hilarious. Again, let's talk about Luka. Luka is third in the NBA in free throw attempts with 11 free throw attempts per game. The best player in the other team, and in my view, the best player in all of basketball, Steph Curry. You want to know where he ranks the NBA in free throw attempts? Luka's third. Steph Curry's 32nd. Steph Curry shoots a little over five three free throws a game. So Luka shoots more than double what Steph shoots. You say, well, that's because Luka gets a lot of his buckets, buckets the paint. Steph is more of a perimeter player. Except when you look at the other guys in this list. Damian Lillard is fifth in free throw attempts. As a, 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 a Trey Young, seventh in free throw attempts. Okay, DeMar DeRozan, tenth in free throw attempts. James Harden, 14th in free throw attempts. De'Aaron Fox, 16th. Jalen Green, 19th. Jalen Brunson, 20th. Zach Levine, 22nd. I think you get the picture. I'm not going to necessarily turn this into a Steph doesn't get calls segment, although the evidence is overwhelmingly supports that argument. Overwhelmingly? But that aside, this is a bad look for the Dallas Mavericks. This uh, In a season that's had a lot of officiating mistakes, that wasn't one of them. If there's any team in the NBA all season long that had the right to protest an outcome of the game, it was the Lakers in that game against the Celtics. And I don't like the Lakers. But that was the worst missed call I, I've seen in a long time, certainly this season, in which LeBron got clearly got hacked on the arm by Jason Tatum. 
the refs didn't call it. The game went to overtime. The Lakers lost. Now, is that the reason the Lakers lost? Of course it isn't. No, you still got five minutes of basketball to play, and the Celtics got play in those five minutes. But it sort of goes to what I always say on my show. When people, it's usually fans, but in this case, it's an organization who's blaming the refs for getting beat. It's like I always say. Refs miss in a basketball game, NBA game. What are we going to to say? I mean, it depends on the flow of the game. Depends on if they let you play or not. And by the way, for the record, the refs kind of did let both teams play a little bit. But how many calls per game do you think the refs miss? I mean, make up a number in your head. I'd say it's, I don't know, just off the top of my head, maybe 10. I mean, I'm not going to watch a whole basketball game. Just, okay, do you miss this? Do you miss... But you get the idea. Calls are missed. Like shots are missed. Like defensive assignments are missed. Like bad calls by coaches are made. Like bad passes are made. I mean, it's again, it's an imperfect game with imperfect players, imperfect coaches, imperfect officials. Now you want them to be the best they can be. You saw that that official that Fred Van Vliet called out got you know pulled from some of his assignments. Why? He was bad. He was like a bad official, missed way too many calls, gave way too many technicals out. That is totally justifiable. And yes, reps should be held accountable, just like players and coaches. But this notion like, okay, this one call lost us the game. Come on. It reminds me a little bit of when the Houston Rockets, remember a few years ago when the Rockets analytics staff from the 2018 Western Conference Finals looked at games six and especially game seven and said, that the, and it shows you how analytics minded the Rockets were. They were talking, okay, the refs missed this call, like this moving screen or this missed foul call on James Harden. Add those up and the Rockets win by 20 in game seven. That is not how basketball works. It's making excuses. It's kind of a loser's mentality. Mark Cuban, Luka Doncic, come on, man. Y'all are better than this. Although I'm not sure Luka is, because and I love Luka. I think Luka's the third best player in basketball behind Stefan Giannis. I, I love Luka. I have never in my life, this is not hyperbole, I've never in my life seen a player that complains, I swear to you, almost every time down the floor to the officials. It's unbelievable. I, it, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, he's got 15 technicals. Man, it's it's a surprise it doesn't have more than that. Gee, whiz. Okay. Uh let's see. <laughs> John Rivera. He says, cheaters, golden states should be banned for life. Oh uh, man. But it, it it's just again, it's a loser's mentality to blame the officials for a loss, but especially in an instance where again the officials did not get the call wrong. The ball went off of Dallas. The timeout was called. Golden State got the ball. The fact that Dallas wasn't ready, again, even if Dallas thought they had the ball, why didn't two of their players go to the end of the floor where the ball was going to be inbounded? One to throw the ball in, one a guy to take the inbound and take it you know, up the court to, to run whatever offense they were going to run. It's, it, it, it's excuse-making. It's... Yeah, it, 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 it's not a great look for, for the Mavs as an organization, for their owner, and for their, their superstar player. But I did want to move on. Before, actually, before I do, I, I did want to, uh, to wish a very happy birthday, if I can get this in the camera frame uh, of, of my bike. I did want to wish, you guys know Steph's my favorite player. I wanted to wish happy birthday to Aisha Curry by showing this T-shirt. Aisha Curry can cook. You guys know what it is. 
those of you that are, that are aware of uh, the significance of that T-shirt, Aisha Curry was, uh, you know, at the NBA Finals as the whole Steph Curry, as all of Steph Curry's family was, as all the family and, and loved ones of the Warriors were at the Finals last year in Boston. And there was a sign outside of like a coffee shop or a cafe, something in Boston that said Aisha Curry can't cook. And it's, you know, it's friendly banter. You know, it is. And Steph, after game five, wears a T-shirt that said Aisha Curry can cook. So kind of like a, a fun way to clap back at it. And so uh, th- this, I actually got this shirt after the championship along with my, my, you know, my night, night T-shirt. Got a lot of memorabilia after that, uh, after that finals win. It was, it was, it was a great feeling. And the money, uh, I think the, the proceeds went to like some, uh, I think it went to their Eat, Learn, Play, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. They're uh, Steph and Aisha's charity. So happy birthday, Aisha Curry. And happy birthday, everybody else out there who's got a got a birthday or know somebody with a birthday. Okay, so I don't talk a ton of baseball on this show outside of the playoffs, All Star break, or when you know I'll, I'll bring Alfred on the show. I'll bring uh, Alfred Parso Jr. For those of you who don't know, the Metropolitan Report. By the way, new episode out today. Please go check it out. Metropolitan Report here at the Grid. Uh, Barry Grant Jr., who's a huge baseball fan from the All Even Podcast, also with The Grid on the show. Mike Guido, the co-founder of The Grid with Barry. I'll bring him on the show occasionally from time to time to talk baseball. But by and large, I usually stick to NFL, NBA, college football during the, the season, and then right now, uh, you know, college basketball during the tournament. And then I'll have some baseball in there if there's like a big free agent move. You know, I talked about Aaron Judge, or, or like last year, uh, the home run chase with... With Judge, I, I might have talked about, if I'm not mistaken, I think I talked about Albert Pujols getting the 700 homers. I could be wrong. I think I remember talking about that, but it's rare that I talk about Major League Baseball in March, but I am because I have to give flowers and props and everything else that is good to Shohei Otani. So Japan won the World Baseball Classic 3-2 to two against the United States. And while I was obviously, you know, dis- disappointed and, and, and saddened and disheartened to a certain degree that that the U.S. was not able to bring back back-to-back World uh, Baseball Classic championships, I couldn't help, and any other person watching, certainly any other baseball fan couldn't help but marvel watching the greatness of Shohei Otani. So, to set the stage, the U.S. was up. I'm sorry, the U.S. was down 3-2 to two going into, I guess it was the top of the ninth inning because I'm pretty sure Japan was the home team. I, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Okay, I don't have the score. I don't know the box score in front of me. I'm, it was the ninth inning. U.S. was down one. And Japan brings Shohei Otani out of the bullpen to, to get the save. And uh, what's his name for the Mets? Jeff McNeil gets on base. And so you got Mookie Betts. You guys know I, I got a, I've always have a, a soft spot, soft spot in my heart for Mookie as a Red Sox fan. It still, still breaks and shatters my heart that he's a Dodger. Nothing against the Dodgers. I like the Dodgers. It's just the fact that Mookie's not here anymore, um, and is helping them win championships. Neither here nor there. Mookie gets up, grounds into a double play, and it's like, okay, yeah, the run, the, the the next batter could hit a homer and tie the game, but it's like chances are slim. Two outs, nobody on, and I'm like, oh, Mike Trout's up. Like you, the World Baseball Classic, you could not have scripted a better ending. The two best players in all of baseball, all the world, all of baseball, who happen to be teammates facing off against each other with the World Baseball Classic on the line. Now, for the record, I'm not as 
big on the World Baseball Classic as a lot of baseball fans are, but it's entertaining. I watched from time to time. That Japan-Mexico semifinal game was a blast to watch. It was an incredible comeback by Japan to get to the championship game. But you get Otani, Trout, and it just so happens to get to a full count, and then uh, Otani gets Trout. I think it was with the slider on you know off-speed pitch to strike him out and to win the World Baseball Classic for Japan. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is time, and I think to a certain degree they have, but it is time, Major League Baseball for decades has flat out stunk compared to other leagues, especially I think the NBA, which is great at this, in marketing their stars. Major League Baseball is not good at it. It's simple. I mean, Mike Trout, up until Shohei Otani, Mike Trout was the best player in baseball for, what, five years or so? You you ask the average, forget sportsman, the average person in America, if they saw Mike Trout in the street, they wouldn't recognize him. They'd recognize LeBron. They'd recognize Tom Brady. They would recognize Peyton Manning. They would recognize Steph Curry. If you want to go back further, they'd recognize Shaquille O'Neal. People wouldn't really recognize Mike Trout. They probably wouldn't recognize Mookie Betts. You know? They probably wouldn't recognize Aaron Judge, even though he's obviously you know a large man in stature, but they'd probably just be like, oh, that's, that's a big guy. Maybe he plays professional sports. Who knows? Without knowing, yeah, he's... He, he's you know, going to go down in history as one of the great home run hitters in the history of the New York Yankees. Baseball has really been bad at marketing their players. If there was ever, ever an opportunity to market a single singular player, that guy, Shohei Otani, who it's March 23rd, 2023. So in about nine months, Dude's going to get paid, paid. Oh, he's going to get paid by somebody because he's going to be a free agent. He will be arguably the most sought-after free agent that baseball's seen maybe in its history. Because you're talking about a guy in Shohei Otani who in 2021, when he won the MVP of the American League, had an ERA in the two, three, two and a half, three area and finished third in homers. He hit 46 bombs in 2021. Last season, he did not win the American League MVP. To me, he would have won American League MVP if it were not for Judge breaking Roger Maris's single-season AL home run record. If Judge had hit 50, I think it would have went to Otani for a second straight year because he was sixth in ERA last season and 11th in homers. We hear the term unicorn. It's often reserved for basketball players. I know they call Kristaps Porzingis that coming out of uh, coming out of the draft in 2015, I think it was. We've heard it referred to towards Kevin Durant, you know, a seven-footer who moves and kind of plays at times like a shooting guard. We've heard it referred to this kid who's about to get drafted number one in the NBA from France, Victor Wimbiama. We've heard unicorn used to describe him. If there was ever somebody we could refer to as unicorn, it's Shohei Otani. We've never seen anything like him since Babe Ruth. And, folks, Babe will have a greater legacy in all likelihood 
uh, he'll he'll always go down in, in in baseball history as one of the greats. Obviously, over 700 homers. He was a great pitcher, especially when he was with the Red Sox before he got traded in 1918 uh, inf- or 1919. I think it was infamously to the Yankees. But when you consider what Shohei Otani's doing, I mean, no disrespect to the babe, it's not even close. First of all, Shohei Otani's playing the best bas- baseball players on planet Earth. Okay, Babe Ruth was playing the best baseball players, sorry, the best white baseball players in America. So when you compare how baseball has become so much more of a global game, obviously way back when when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and baseball slowly but surely desegregated, it's a totally different sport now with Otani. The fact that he we we talk about pitchers are the most valuable player, a great starting pitcher is the most valuable piece to any baseball team. I mean, how do we know this? Because the top two highest paid players in Major League Baseball happen to actually be on the same staff with the New York Mets. Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, two highest paid players in baseball. Four of the top ten highest paid players in baseball this season, all pitchers. When you're talking about uh, Scherzer, Verlander, uh, Garrett Cole for the Yankees, and I think it was Steven Strasburg for the Washington Nationals, it's the most important position. It's the most valuable position. So Shohei's that. Shohei can strike you out, can get it, can, can, can only give up, you know, two and a half runs-ish per game on average. Oh, yeah, he can take a deep once every, every, every once in a while. Again, he had 46 bombs in 2021, 34 in 2022. We have never, ever seen anything like him in the history of Major League Baseball. There's going to be a lot of suitors. I have a hard time seeing any team, even because there's no salary cap in baseball. I have a hard time seeing any team that won't, at least as we hear in the NFL all the time, do their due diligence on Shohei Otani. In my view, all 30 teams should go after him this coming winter. Angels are in all likelihood not going to be a playoff team. I, I have a hard, hard time seeing that, especially you know even in the AL West. Obviously, we know Houston's not only the class of the division, but the class of the American League. The chance of the Angels getting the playoffs is slim to none. And it's a shame considering they have the best two players in all of baseball. But next year, or this winter, at the Mets, at the Dodgers, the Angels will certainly make a push, although I have a very hard time seeing, seeing him land there. I would give anything if my Red Sox were to land him. But it's going to be one of the most covered players in the history of Major League Baseball free agency, and for good reason. The dude is still in his 20s and is one of the best aces in baseball and is one of the best power hitters in baseball. And you're seeing other guys from Japan. Again, I I speculate, I talk about Shohei, I think a year and a half, two years ago maybe, when he, I think when he was when he won Home Run Derby, the Home Run Derby in 2021, about how he could almost have a Steph Curry effect possibly, maybe not to the degree that Steph did, where Steph literally changed the way that a sport is played. You could possibly see that with Shohei, you know, change the way a sport is played with baseball as it pertains to guys coming in as two-way players. I wouldn't discount it. If he continues to have the success he's having, if he, I mean, who knows what his contract's going to look like this winter, and he's going to deserve every penny of it. Guys can be looking at that and be like, hey, if I can, you know, if I can, if I could throw 100-mile-an-hour gas and have a good curveball, slider, some good off-speed pitches in there, and I can be a great hitter, 
Man, I can make a lot of money playing baseball. I don't think the World Baseball Classic could have ended any better. You could not have you could not have asked of all the players that were in the tournament. That's the matchup we wanted to see, and we got it. Shohei got the best of Trout, and Japan won the World Baseball Classic. As sad as I was that the U.S. didn't didn't come out on top for the second straight tournament, it was incredible to see how it ended, and it just goes to show you the greatness of one Shohei Otani. Truly, truly remarkable. And oh, come on, John, John. John John comments future Yankee. It's not happening, John Rivera. It's not. Okay, he's not coming to New York. If he comes to New York, the Mets are the most likely uh, team. I mean, there's a lot of ties between the Mets. I think Shohei's agent, if I'm not mistaken. So, no, he, he's not. If he goes to New York, it's going to be the Queens, not the Bronx. At least I hope so. I always say, listen, the Mets, I always consider as a Red Sox fan an ally, despite how the 86 World Series ended. Listen, I I was I was never even a thought in 1986. Okay, I, I didn't even exist in 1986. So I don't any harbor any hard feelings towards the Mets, which you know it's easy to say now because a I wasn't around for Game Six or Game Seven of 1986 for that matter. And as well, since that point, the Red Sox have won four championships in the 21st century, and I got to experience one of those uh, as a Red Sox fan in 2018. So Mets is kind of like a, it, for me. It's sort of like the enemy, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of uh, situation where the Red Sox and Mets both hate the Yankees, where it's like, okay, I don't necessarily like the Mets, but they hate the Yankees. We hate the Yankees. Okay, we're cool. I mean, I can't tell you how many times at Fenway watching Red Sox games on, on television or even at, at the old Shea Stadium and then at City Field that you've heard Yankees suck chants between Red Sox and Mets fans. It is one of the most truly unifying chance in all of sports. Forget baseball in all of sports. I, I absolutely love it. But yeah, man, whoever whoo, whoever gets Shohei next year, man, they are going to have to pay a king's ransom in free agency. Okay, hold on. It looks like we got an update on this Dallas Mavericks situation. Hold on. This is according to Shams. Oh, okay, no, no, no. Never mind. This is just a a video, but Shams uh, posted like reacting to the situation, reporting on it. So yeah, listen, Dallas is not going to win the protest. They're not like, first of all, the refs didn't even get the call wrong. If nothing else, again, I think what confused everybody was the PA announcer. And I'm not, I'm not like blaming the PA announcer. Like, Oh, he shouldn't have. I'm not going like, to, I'm not coming on carving up to put heat on the Dallas Mavericks public address announcer. Uh, but I think that's what confused everybody where he says Mavs ball, which I have yet to hear the audio of him saying that. I'll take uh, listen. I'll take Cuban's word on that. Maybe I shouldn't, considering the uh, the number of untrue statements he's got in this tweet. But hey, Dallas is not winning that uh that protest. Okay, that's it's, it's it's like I said, it's a bad look. But I also wanted to talk about this because as soon as I saw it, you know, scrolling through Twitter one day earlier this week. As soon as I saw it, I'm thinking, and eh, this is going to be a topic on my show and everybody on all the TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, etc., articles, everybody's going to be talking about this particular soundbite. And that is that of former Miami Heat player and former teammate of the great LeBron James, Mario Chalmers. So Mario Chalmers was on, I think it was a podcast, talking about the difference between LeBron and Michael Jordan, because we, we all know anytime those two names are brought up, there's going to be a conversation. There's going to be a debate. There's going to be a comparison. And so 
before I get my take on it, let me show you what, what Mario Chalmers did. Here's Here was his thoughts on LeBron James and what the biggest difference is between LeBron and Michael Jordan. Nobody fears Gronk. Nobody's like, damn, I got to go play this Gronk tonight. Nobody said that. I don't know why. Right. Because I've seen people be scared when they actually line up to them, but they're not scared thinking about that matchup. Right. You hear anybody from that era talk about going against Jordan, there's a fear. Right. So when you have people that fear a player, then that's telling you something different already. Like, Jordan's just that guy. Like, everything was, I want to be like Mike. Right. Okay. So he's talking about they don't fear LeBron like they fear Jordan. So this is a nuanced discussion because I'm seeing, and this this is why I try to pick a middle ground. I don't usually do this on sports debates, but I try to with the LeBron debates because I think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. I guess it was the scoring record that did it for me. That was the first time I sort of officially announced that. But you've got your LeBron fans who at times can be incredibly obnoxious, but you've got your LeBron fans who are saying, man, Mario's hating, he's da-da-da-da-da. And then on the other side, you've got people who hate LeBron, love Jordan, who are talking about, uh, yeah, Mario's right, you know, he played with LeBron, he knows. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to take this from two different scenarios. Let's say Mario Chalmers is right that nobody feared LeBron James. Or at least they don't fear LeBron the way they do Michael Jordan. If Mario Chalmers is right, then I haven't been watching basketball for the last decade. Because notice that LeBron in the Eastern Conference, which he played in from 03 to 2018, 03 when he came in the league, 2018 when he left the Cavs to go to the Lakers and then joined the Western Conference. For a 15-year stretch, in those 15 years, LeBron made 60% of the finals. One guy made 60% of the finals, not to mention a run of eight straight from 2011 to 2018. All of the other best players in the NBA all happen to reside in the Western Conference. And by the way, plenty of them had opportunity to go to the East. For the record, the East was kind of the easier conference, if you think about it. You think about in 2011, when LeBron made his first finals run with the Heat, the first of eight straight, fourth the Heat, fourth the Cavs. Out West, you had the Dirk Mavericks, who ended up beating the Miami Heat in that 2011 finals, which LeBron and Mario Chalmers were a part of. You had the... Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Monty Ginobili led Spurs around that time. As time passed, you saw the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was first KD, Westbrook, and Harden, and then Harden got traded to Houston. Then Houston was a factor, but KD and Westbrook were, st were still a factor in Oklahoma City. And as time went on, you saw the, I mean, I don't think this team is ever a true championship threat, but the Lob City Clippers were a very good basketball team. Like people saw them like, okay, they're a factor in the Western Conference. And then about the mid-2000s, you saw the rise of my Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, the great vets, role players, coaching that they had. Picture yourself wrapped in its softness. Whether you're enjoying a captivating TV show, gathered around a crackling campfire, or cheering for your favorite football team, Minky understands your fall cravings. Our blankets are tailor-made for those heartwarming autumn vibes. 
With a variety of colors, they're perfect for complementing the hues of fall, as well as showing off your team pride with their vibrant team colors. And the best part? We've got sizes for the whole family, ensuring that everyone can experience the joy of cozying up in Minky's embrace. This fall, let Minky be your companion in creating unforgettable moments. Wrap yourself in comfort, share love, and relish the essence of the season. Minky Blankets, where warmth meets love in every color for every moment. Fall into one of our Minky Couture stores or visit us online at minkycouture.com. There was a lot of player movement in that decade. None of them outside of Carmelo Anthony from the Nuggets to the Knicks went out east. Also, Notice that LeBron, over that eight-year stretch, tended to, how do I say this, own teams in the playoffs. Think about the Indiana Pacers. Indiana faced LeBron, was it three, four? I think it was five times in the playoffs. If I'm not mistaken, I think Indiana played the Heat or the Cavs with LeBron five times that I know off the top of my head. Five and oh. Didn't matter if it was Paul George or David West. George Hill was on those teams. And that last time he faced the Pacers in the playoffs was with Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. That was a solid Pacers team. Took the Cavs seven games to knock him out. You think about the Boston Celtics. And it's funny, too. You hear guys like Paul Pierce. I'm like, man, nobody fear LeBron, which, man, I don't know what's up with Paul Pierce. He says some crazy stuff sometimes. Kevin Garnett at times has said, uh, you know, uh, no, we didn't fear LeBron James. That's funny. When LeBron was in Cleveland, the first stint, when his second best player in that seven-year start to his career was Zadrunas Ilgauskas and Mo Williams. Yeah, never heard of him either. The Boston Celtics had Paul Pierce. They drafted Paul Pierce, but they're like, oh, that that this is this is not this is nowhere near enough. We, we cannot get through LeBron with this. So we're gonna go trade for Ray Allen, who as we sit here today, is second in the NBA all-time in three-point shooting. Or three-pointers made, obviously, to Steph Curry. We're going to get Kevin Garnett, who's one of the greatest defensive players of all time. We're going to get Rajon Rondo, who's one of the better pure point guards of this past generation. We're going to fill it in with veterans. We're going to get Doc Rivers. In 08, it took the Celtics seven games to knock LeBron out of the playoffs. In 2010, it took them six games to knock LeBron out of the playoffs. And once LeBron finally had the requisite, once it was even, it's your best versus my best. LeBron, Wade, Bosh. The big three in Miami versus the big three in Boston. It was over. Boston would in no parts. LeBron James and the Miami Heat. Remember that game six? The LeBron's legacy is on the line game. 46 points. I think he had 15 rebounds. Getting to the basket, hitting fadeaways, looking like Kobe and Jordan out there. Remember that game? Remember what happened? Big three broke up. Ray Allen left to join LeBron in Miami in 2013. And Paul Pierce... And Kevin Garnett got traded to the Brooklyn Nets. How about the Toronto Raptors? 
How about, how about Toronto? DeMar DeRozan is an excellent basketball player, one more underrated in my mind. He'll go down as one of the greatest mid-range shooters ever. And that's saying something considering the great mid-range shooters we've had. You had Kyle Lowry, one of the better point guards of the last decade. You had other role players, Serge Ibaka. You had uh, Fred Van Vliet at that point. Dwayne Casey was the head coach of the Raptors at that time. And uh, LeBron played the Raptors with the Cavs in the playoffs in 2016, 17, and 18. You want to know what the Cavs' record was in those playoff games? They were 12-2. and two. They won 10 straight. The last, the last 10 games that LeBron played the Raptors in the finals, all of them W's. It got so bad, we started to call him LeBronto. Playing LeBron in Toronto, we called him LeBronto because the dude not just owned the Raptors in the court. He wasn't just put up big numbers and winning all these games. You could see it in the Raptors' faces. DeMar, Lowry in particular, like, oh, God, we don't want no parts of this guy. Oh, this is not, this This just isn't working for us. We 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 nicknamed them the baby dinosaurs. Now, this these were good Raptors teams. These were two seeds, three seeds. In 2018, they were the one seed. And the second they stared that man in the face, like, mm-mm. Nope, this, this is too big for us. This is way, way, way too big of a moment for us. So let's say that Mario Chalmers is right. Let's say Mario Chalmers is right that nobody fears LeBron James, the way they did Michael Jordan, rather. Okay. Since when in the greatest player ever discussion, or forget greatest player ever, since when when we evaluate great players does something like fear that cannot be measured, that can't be quantified, calculated, or really even looked at in terms of is this actually there or not? Since when did that come into discussion? Let me ask you all a question. It's a genuine question. When opponents faced Magic Johnson, do you think they looked Magic Johnson in the eyes when they stepped on the court all those during all those finals in, in Los Angeles or Boston, Detroit, elsewhere, and were like, oh, well, that's, oh, that's Magic Johnson. Oh, boy. Oh, no. No. There's nothing about, to this day, there's nothing about Magic Johnson that invokes fear. Nothing. Yeah, for for a guy who never struck fear in people, he uh he he had an okay career. You know, he had, he won five championships. He went to nine finals, and he won five league MVPs, and is widely regarded as the greatest point guard of all time, and is a top five player ever. Yeah, you know, he 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 didn't have that great of a career. He didn't invoke fear in people. Do you think when people? Face Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic's teammate, all those years in Los Angeles. And they looked Kareem eye-to-eye, which is somewhat difficult considering Kareem's height, but those that could. Then they saw Kareem under those goggles and were like, oh, oh boy, that's Kareem. Oh, man, we're, we're, we're losing sleep the night before. No. It's not that Kareem wasn't great. Does that diminish Kareem? Absolutely not. Now, when he looks Kobe in the eye, did you have fear? Did he invoke it to a certain degree? 
It would certainly appear so. I mean, every part of Kobe's game on and off, well, I wouldn't say off the court, but on the court and his persona, he tried to model after Michael Jordan. It's the closest thing we've ever seen in terms of playing style to Jordan. Yeah, he was a natural-born, cold-blooded killer in terms of his scoring ability and his relentlessness. Only comparison we've seen to Michael Jordan in that regard. But does fear factor elevate Kobe? No, I don't think it does. You know what I think elevates Kobe? The fact that he won five championships is the last player in NBA history to lead back-to-back championships. People forget that. Like, we talk about guys that have led two straight back-to-back titles. Kobe's done that. And by the way, one of those back-to-back, one just back-to-back, it was a three-peat with Shaq. Kobe's got an MVP, and Kobe, by the way, is fourth all-time in NBA history in scoring. That's what makes Kobe great. Not to mention all those iconic performances, the 81 against the Raptors, the 60 in his final game against the Utah Jazz, getting to seven finals. Fear does not elevate Kobe. The same way fear does not, or lack of fear factor doesn't diminish, you know, Kareem or Magic or, if Mario Chalmers is right, LeBron. Since when was that something that we took? Again, I, I notice, and if you think Michael's the greatest player ever, I don't think you're crazy. That's that's a, He's got a more than valid argument. But we use variables for Jordan that we don't use for other players. And that's what I don't get. Since when did things like fear and intimidation? I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I think, to a certain degree, Dennis Robbins probably struck a lot more fear in people than Magic Johnson did. Nobody in their right mind would put Dennis Rodman among the 10 greatest basketball players of all time. Now, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a multi-time champion. He was a contributor to a little mini-dynasty in Detroit and a the second half of a dynasty in Chicago. Dennis Rodman's absolutely one of, the, one of the greatest players ever. Nobody's putting in the top 10. I, I just don't know why we, we use variables for Jordan that we don't use for other players. And again, it's sort of... Part of what elevates LeBron, to me, is not fear factor. It's the fact that when Michael came into the NBA, from, I mean, from day one, when he was drafted in 1984 with the third overall pick out of North Carolina, we weren't comparing Michael to be like, okay, he's the next this. He's taking the torch from this player. We weren't comparing Michael to anybody. LeBron, since before he got drafted. Okay, LeBron, you're 18 years old. You take the torch from Michael Jordan. Can you imagine if we, if Victor Wimbiana comes to the NBA, before he comes to the NBA this June, we say, hey, Victor, you are going to take the torch from LeBron James. You'd be like, are you kidding me? That You can't put that on, on the poor 18, 19-year-old kid. And by the way, I agree. It's, to a certain degree, kind of unfair. LeBron surpassed expectations. LeBron had a cloud hanging over him. I think to this day sort of has a cloud hanging over him in terms of expectations that Jordan did not. Not that we didn't expect something from Jordan, but we were always comparing Michael to somebody else who played before him. We do that almost every time LeBron steps on an NBA court. So 
that's that's part of what elevates him in my goat discussion. But fear, I think, is an odd variable to use because it's not something that you can prove. It's not something that you can really measure to a certain degree. Relentlessness, sure, you can see relentlessness. You can see when someone is not relentless. Fear, eh. I don't know if that was ever uh, something that we always that we always used. Uh, oh, how about this? Okay, uh, we got a little bit of breaking news here from Adam Schefter. Uh, he he reports that quote Las Vegas Aces and Raiders owner Mark Davis announced today that seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady has acquired an ownership interest in the world champion WNBA Las Vegas Aces franchise. Okay, so. Listen, this is not surprising to me in the slightest that that Tom is going getting into ownership. I mean, that's you know he's somebody. If he's not a billionaire already, which I'm pretty sure he's not, but he's it's safe to say he's going to be soon with the Fox contract with TB12, with 199 productions, with everything going on business wise. I mean, again, like I talked about when Tom Brady retired, he is going to flourish, flourish in his uh, post retirement life, but. Yeah, listen, happy for Tom Brady. That is a, a great investment. I, you know, sports teams, professional sports teams are always a good investment because the thing is, they're not going anywhere. If you were to, if you had a lot of money and you bought a stake into the the Pittsburgh Steelers, hey, they ain't leaving Pittsburgh. Steelers will be in Pittsburgh for the rest of time. Unless the NFL somehow, some way went bankrupt, which look at the ratings, revenue, et cetera, NFL is not going bankrupt anytime soon. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, the WNBA in popularity obviously isn't anywhere near the NFL, but listen, the league has increased in popularity and ratings over the last few years. Uh, I mean, some of these young players, especially this, this upcoming draft, I think Caitlin Clark of Iowa is eligible for this upcoming draft. Paige Beckers is eligible for either this draft or next year's draft. I think she's going to be a star in the NBA, as is Caitlin Clark. You've got some of these young young players. Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina is going to come in, I think, day one, make an impact. We've seen that with Sabrina Unescu, who I loved out of Oregon. So, listen, the, the, the popularity of the league is only going to increase. And, listen, Tom Brady recognized that and bought a stake into the Vegas Aces, who, for those of you that don't follow the WNBA, are trying their very best to be the WNBA version, WNBA's version of the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant. Like, literally. You've got Kelsey Plum. You've got uh, 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 Asia Wilson. And they just added Candace Parker this offseason. Like, come on. <laughs> they just won the championship and they added Candace Parker. Now, Candace, it's shout out to Candace Parker, by the way. VFL, Vol for Life. I think two-time NCAA champion with Tennessee. But she's, and listen, Candace isn't in her prime anymore in terms of on-court abilities, but, I mean, she just led a team to a WNBA championship just a couple of years ago with the Chicago Sky in her hometown. Not to mention the title she already had with the Las, Vegas, or Los Angeles Sparks. So, 
yeah, she, she, she's going to be outstanding in Vegas. And I think it's safe to say they're the preseason pick to, to win the 2023 title. But all that to say, congrats to Tom Brady. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's more than safe to say that that was a, a great investment on, on his part. By the way, speaking of college basketball, uh, Michigan State, Kansas State, they are about 10 and a half minutes into that one. Kansas State's up 18 to 17, so pretty pretty close early on between those two. Again, my Tennessee Vols tip off in about a little over two hours against Florida Atlantic. Tennessee is a four and a half point favorite. That line has crawled all over the place. I'll, I guess I'll sort of dis- discuss that later in the show, but it's it's... I'm a little nervous for this one because Florida Atlantic is really good. I don't know if y'all have watched them, but they're legit. They beat Memphis, and then they beat the Cinderella team, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. Listen, Tennessee's obviously better than those two, but look out. They've only lost three games all year. All right, all of that to say, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, We're going to stick in the NBA and stick in the city of Los Angeles where – Times are not very good for the Los Angeles Clippers because Paul George in a game the other night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, Tuesday night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, went down with a knee injury. Again, this is according to, uh, uh, I, I can't say this, I, I can't pronounce this person's name. It's, it, it, I think I think they're a, an ESPN staff writer says. I I, I would give them the credit if, if I could. I just cannot pronounce their name. Um, Om Young Masuk, I think is how you pronounce but they're reporting that Paul George will miss at least the next two weeks. They sprained right knee. The team announced Wednesday. George will be reevaluated in two to three weeks and is expected to miss the remaining nine regular season games the Clippers have left. George's timeline for a potential return in the playoffs will be clear once he is reevaluated, sources told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. So this is the very reason that I didn't buy into the Clippers before the season. A lot of folks were talking about, hey, Clippers were formidable last year. Yes, they lost in the play-in tournament, but they got Paul George coming back. They've got a deep roster. Ty Lue's one of the better coaches in the NBA. And they get Kawhi Leonard back from injury this year. So plug Kawhi in. This is a title contender in the Western Conference. Never bought into him. And it was for this reason right here. Their best two players. And can Kawhi and Paul George be the best two players in a championship team? No question about it. I mean, Paul George led them to the Western Conference Finals when Kawhi got hurt in the second round just two years ago. Paul George led a team, now this was nine years ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to, I'm sorry, yeah, nine, ten years ago to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals with the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, but, uh, struggles to stay healthy. Kawhi struggles to stay healthy. You had Russell Westbrook, and now they haven't played Russ late in games, which has helped them. But because of the addition of Russ, it's caused a lot of chaos and confusion with the rotations. What do you do with Norman Powell? What do you do with with Terrence Mann? Mann has played some, you know, late in some of these games. It's been kind of confusing for the Clippers, and so now you lose Paul George. And by the way, Clippers are no sure thing to be in the postseason this year. As crazy as that sounds, I don't. I wish I could show the standings on the on uh, on the screen here, but I'm looking at my phone. Western Conference standings. The Clippers are a game and a half out of the play-in tournament. Just a game and a half. Only a half game in front of my Warriors. And the Clippers, by the way, play the Thunder tonight, which, by the way, Oklahoma City's playing incredible basketball right now, led by Shea Gilgis-Alexander. But you've got the Timberwolves and Thunder, who are a game and a half back of the Clippers. 
you got the Mavs and Lakers that are two games behind the Clippers and the Jazz and the Pelicans who are two and a half behind the Los Angeles Clippers. So for LA right now, it is survive, get into the playoffs without having to participate in the play-in tournament. But even if Paul George comes back, I worry about his health potentially rushing back from a knee sprain. And I worry about Kawhi Leonard, who's dealt with injuries. Again, I, I'm not so sure doesn't have arthritic knees. That's not sourced or confirmed. But man, the guy has a ton of knee issues going back to his days in San Antonio years ago. And they've only worsened to this point. If I can't trust your two best players to be there, to be available, I'm sorry I can't buy into you as a championship contender. That's not the only reason, again, the Westbrook move to me hurt matters drastically for the Clippers. But because of all the roster movement and the injuries over the last few years, I still don't think there is a defined role for everybody. And that's what you see for every championship team. Every guy has a role. You got your score. You got your second score. You got your defensive stopper. You got your primary big, your rebounder, the guy who initiates the offense. Who, who plays those roles for the Clippers? Listen, Ty Lue already had a lot in his plate. It, 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 it got that, that plate got filled that much more with PG going down on Tuesday. So, and I hate it for PG. PG's a good guy. I, I respect the fact that he's been incredibly vulnerable about his mental health. You guys know that's 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 very, very important to me. And so I, I have nothing but love for Paul George. Uh, and I hate that he that he's having to deal with another injury. But this is why I didn't buy into the Clippers going into the season. Even in a Western Conference that is as, as weak as it's ever been. I mean, the one-seed Nuggets. We're like, okay, who could upseed, upset the one-seed Nuggets? When's the last time we've ever had that discussion about a one-seed? Seriously. We, we're, we go into the playoffs and we're thinking, okay, what are the chances that this eight-seed beats this one-seed? The playoffs don't start for another three, four weeks, and we're already saying, okay, could Golden State upset Denver? Could the Lakers? Could the Thunder? Could... So Denver's falling off as of late. They're playing no defense. Jokic is having a little bit of a rough stretch. Uh, Memphis, and I'll talk about John in just a second. I'll save that for later. Sacramento has had an amazing year. Mike Brown, to me, is the runaway coach of the year. I don't care. I don't care. Anybody says that guy's done an incredible job. Uh, and De'Aaron Fox should be an all-NBA guy this year. He's first in clutch time points. But they play no defense. They're 25th in the NBA defensively. People talk about, oh, Golden State doesn't play defense this year. They're 17th. Kings are 25th. You cannot be 25th in defense and win a championship. You just can't. Not only that, but they have zero playoff experience and not a ton of size. Like Harrison Barnes is really their best wing defender. And he's good. I know from, from his days in Golden State, but he's not necessarily like a, a great two-way player. Phoenix. Uh, I don't know if y'all watching Phoenix. Phoenix is not playing good basketball as of late. Okay? They they lost uh, Dev Booker for time. He's come back. Kevin Durant's been out for a while. There's a chance he comes back before the regular season ends, which would be huge for Phoenix. But they're not deep, and they haven't had an opportunity to build any chemistry with KD. They play not, he's played 90 minutes as a Phoenix Sun. That's not enough to go on a playoff run. The Clippers, again, the Paul George injury. Uh, Golden State, who I still believe is going to win the West if healthy. I don't think we can win the championship without Andrew Wiggins. 
but Gary Payton's coming back. Like things are starting to look up for Golden State, but still has not been the season that I and many imagined it would be. Minnesota, come on. OKC could get in, but I don't think they're good enough to win a series. Dallas, I don't think is good enough to win a series, especially with Luke and Kyrie. That's a funky fit in Dallas. The Lakers could, I think, if LeBron comes back healthy, but I don't know if they've been able to play, especially with the new pieces they acquired, who fit great, by the way. And I gave Rob Palenka, after I've been bashing him for all this time, I gave him all the credit in the world for making the moves that he did. But I don't know if they built enough chemistry with one another. And plus, it's going to be tough to go on the road every single playoff series. I, I don't know if the Lakers can can go on a run. The West is not just wide open, but kind of weak. I mean, I'd argue the best three teams in the NBA, all of them come out of the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee, to me, is the class of the East and the class of the NBA. And then we have a debate between Boston and Philly. I like Boston slightly more because while I don't, there's certain things I don't trust about Boston. There's more things I don't trust about Philadelphia. Joel Embiid, all, and I love Embiid. I think he's the MVP this year, but he always, always, always gets hurt in the postseason. Harden never, never, never delivers in the postseason, especially in the biggest of games, elimination games. And Doc Rivers, who I love as a human being, but he's the only coach in NBA history to blow three 3-1 leads in the history of the NBA. I love Jason Tatum. Been a Jason Tatum fan since day one. And I still think Boston absolutely has a shot to get to the finals. But again, all of that said, best three teams in the NBA come out of the Eastern Conference. By the way, <laughs> Cleveland's really good. And I hate saying that because I hate, I don't like Cleveland sports. I don't, I don't, we got no love for Cleveland sports whatsoever. But Donovan Mitchell's having an unbelievable year. They got great young pieces around him. They're going to be around for a while. I just don't think this is their year to compete given the teams that are above them. But if Cleveland was in the West, they could absolutely make a run. Patrick Brown's in the comments. What's up? He says, Clippers titles, uh, uh, Clippers title hopes are done. Kawhi can't carry the team. The West is very much wide open at this point. It's, it's the concern I had about the Clippers from day one. And it sucks for Paul George. Knock on wood for him. Praying for a speedy recovery for him. Again, he very well could be back by the playoffs. But how healthy will he be by that point? And Kawhi, you're always going to question where he's at physically. So yeah, I think I was never into the Clippers this year. But this this kind of feels like a death blow. Okay, last, uh, oh Lord, last segment of the show today. So you guys know I've been very, I've been crystal clear about the fact that I don't care all that much for the Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> for obvious reasons, especially as a Warriors fan, considering that, you know, they're a team that wants so badly to be a dynasty, talks smack to the actual dynasty and uh, still is yet to back it up in the playoffs, but that's neither here nor there. But we know what's been going on with their star player, John Morant over the last few weeks, starting with the gun in the Denver Strip Club, the suspension, the interview with Jalen Rose in between, the fact that, and this is an underreported story, the Grizzlies, and I've been on this for a year, playing really well without John Morant. It's almost like the Kyrie Irving effect to a certain degree. Different players, same effect on the team. But John Morant comes back from... Uh, John Morant comes back from suspension last night against the Houston Rockets. He scored 17 points. Had a, a typical John Morant poster dunk 
over, I forgot who it was. Uh, I think it was Kenya Martin Jr., if I'm not mistaken, who he yammed one over on the on, from the left wing. Was, again, it's a typical John Morant play. He's he's one of the better in-game dunkers we've seen. He's one of the most athletic point guards we've ever seen. He is as fun a player in the NBA as there is to watch. He's, he's incredible. I'm not sure how much of an impact he has on winning, but he's incredible to watch. <sighs> he still doesn't get it. People around him still don't get it. Starting with his dad, T. Morant. And that T. Morant is a guy who I've hell off of criticism of. I first show back after the jaw incident, I said T's not the guy that I'm going to criticize because the T. Morant's credit. He raised a son, helped him get to the NBA. And John Morant is 23 years old. Like, there comes a point in time. I know everybody's different maturity levels, but there comes a point in time where you make your decisions. I mean, Team Morant to me is just a little bit more heightened version of LeVar Ball in terms of, you know, sitting courtside. I didn't like the incident with where he was, you know, trying to fight Shannon Sharp, A, because nobody would have wanted to see that, especially Team Morant. But just getting involved with that, 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 that wasn't good. But she had Team Morant during the game last night wearing a shirt talking about redemption, and this is going to be Jaws redemption. And it's like, just if there was ever a time to lay low, this is it. John Morant is coming off an eight-game suspension. He missed night. He didn't play. He was he was eligible to play Monday, but wanted to get back back in basketball shape, so he played Wednesday. Jaws coming off a controversy that was no joke. No joke. Not to mention the numerous allegations of things that had reportedly happened involving Ja going back to last summer. It's the gone on IG Live that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for the NBA to say, okay, you're done for a while. You're going home. And it's as if he never left. It's as if his family and those around him, it's as if they never left. Now, Jaws, no idiot. There's no question about that. I think it's a big reason he brought, and it's the reason I noticed Dylan Brooks did the same after the Grizzlies played the Warriors on this past Saturday night, bringing his young daughter out in the court with him. Now, do I have a problem with it? No. But I think John Morant is sort of using that as a way to say, hey, I've, you know, I'm bringing my daughter out. It's a good PR look. You know, we see NBA players all the time, you know, like bring their kids to press conferences. It's like, Ja, now is the time. And this is why I said, this is what I was worried about, folks. When Adam Silver announced that it was an eight-game suspension, which, by the way, the majority of which he had served because he'd been suspended by the Grizzlies, so a big chunk of the eight-game suspension counted the games that he had already missed. So it was really more like a two- to three-game suspension. And he comes back from, I guess, the facility in Florida, wherever he was at. I said, this feels a bit rushed. This feels a, this feels a little bit rushed for Ja. To come back when he did, was some of it due to the fact that, hey, Memphis is the two-seed in the West. Memphis may have a chance to potentially go on a playoff run. You want to have your best player back. Sure. But the off-the-court stuff is what matters. The off-the-court stuff is why Job is suspended, and the off-the-court stuff, I'm not really sure that has really been addressed that much. Again, I'm, I'm pulling for Jaw. I'm pulling for Jaw. 
but I don't feel like anything's really changed. This was sort of, this felt like at least, his opportunity, his dad's opportunity, those around him, their opportunity to kind of say, okay, we're that, that, it's over. We're moving on as if nothing happened, which is the last way to go about it. But it's all the more reason I do not buy into the Memphis Grizzlies as title contenders. Part of it's because I've been on this again for a year. They've been better consistently on both ends of the floor without John Morant in the regular season and in the playoffs than with him. Not to mention the fact that you've got nothing but distractions, all of which coming from the players. And it's in the instance of Ja, the people around him. I don't buy Memphis. I don't. I think they're a better team without him. They've been they've shown that over the last couple of years. It's a deep team. Jaron Jackson Jr. was an all-star this year, deservedly so. Desmond Bain's really good. Uh, they're missing Steven Adams. They need him back. If they want any reinforcements. Uh, Tyus Jones has been great stepping in the role for Jaw the last couple of seasons. He's probably the best backup point guard in the league, arguably. I, I, I didn't like the looks of anything I saw last night whatsoever. We'll see what happens as time goes on, but all the more reason to be concerned about Jaw and to be concerned about Memphis. Again, I'm pulling for Jaw, but I, I don't. I, I did not like what I saw last night at all. If there's any time to lay low, now is it, and they totally botched it. We'll see, though. We'll see. Again, about to get off the show here. Tennessee plays Florida Atlantic in two hours in the Sweet 16. Tennessee is a four-and-a-half point favorite, but the line was as high as, I think, five-and-a-half, six early in the week, which makes me a little nervous. But I got my Vols. I said 66-61 Tennessee over Duke. And Tennessee, I mean, Duke was favored in that game by, I think, three points it was. Obviously, Tennessee covered the covered the you know those who bet Tennessee plus three won some money, but Tennessee ended up winning by eleven. I think it was sixty five, so almost got the Tennessee end of the scoring right. Sixty five fifty four, I believe, was the final score of that one. But in this one night, Florida Atlantic, great three point shooting team, elite in the offensive end, underrated on the defensive end. Tennessee, we know, is the second best defensive team in all of college basketball. They give up in the fifties in terms of average points per game by the opposition. Olivier Nkumwa had the game of his life with 27 points, I think on 13 shots against Duke. Santiago Vescovi is one of the best sharpshooters in all college basketball, moves great without the ball. Um, not to mention there was some bullets aboard material that the FAU coach threw out there. You know Rick Barnes, Tennessee's head coach, who struggled at this point in the tournament, Sweet 16 on. I'm going to roll with my balls. Got a score. Let's see. I'll say 63-57. Tennessee beats Florida Atlantic 63-57 and advances to the second Elite Eight in program history. Book it. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern. 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. And be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. 
helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network on YouTube. It's a network I'm a part of. You can find my show, Carving It Up. You can also find the other shows. Again, you saw in the comments, uh, Patrick Brown of the Chaotic Sports Podcast, as well as the Forum Podcast, which is a Lakers show. So please be sure to check out both of his shows. Cowboys Cam Fan, they just did a live stream last night talking about the Cowboys offseason moves. I saw that Ezekiel Elliott potentially could go to the Philadelphia Eagles. I know that's that's not something that Cowboys fans want to hear whatsoever. We'll see what happens with that. But Cowboys Cam Fan, please go check their stuff out. Barry Grant Jr., the All Even Podcast, check his stuff out, as well as that of uh, Parnell of the Commander's Demand Podcast. He's got a show coming out soon, new episode uh, with Ryan. Ryan Flowers of Clutch Sports Talk, check his stuff out. And definitely check out Commander's Demand when it comes out this Saturday. And Alfred Parsar Jr. of the Metropolitan Report and the Rocket Fuel po- Jets podcast. But a new episode of Metropolitan uh, just came out today. Great, great stuff if you're a baseball fan. And if you're a Mets fan, please go check that stuff out as well. So we're doing great stuff with the grid. Very, very excited. And uh, yeah, we're, we're building some momentum. We are building some momentum. No question about it. All right. Have a great evening, everybody. I'll see you all tomorrow night. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. God bless you all. Peace out. Yeah, I hope I'm playing Rocky Top tomorrow. Please let me play playing Rocky Top tomorrow. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.